We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Away we go, episode 468 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Wednesday, December 21st, 2022. It is the first day of winter, 2022-2023. The winter solstice will take place at 4.48 p.m. Eastern on Wednesday. You have heard the phrase, winter is coming. Uh, Well, winter is is essentially here. For our commanders, uh, will this be a cold and dark winter? Or will this be a merry and uplifting winter? Uh, Well, we will begin to find out this Saturday afternoon, Christmas Eve afternoon, the 7-6-1 commanders at the 10-4 and and NFC West champion San Francisco 49ers this Saturday afternoon, at 4.05. The week is moving quickly for the Commanders off their 2012 loss to the New York Giants at FedEx Field on Sunday night. The Commanders held a walkthrough on Tuesday. What is an off day for players in a normal regular season game week? Uh, The injury report that the Commanders put out on Tuesday was an estimation of what players would have done had the team held a full practice. Corner Benjamin St. Juice was listed as limited, but he, after the walkthrough, said that he is going to play this Saturday. Uh, Boy, would that be big. Benjamin St. Juice being back. The Juice being back. He has been inactive for each of the commander's last three games due to a right ankle injury that he suffered in the win at the Houston Texans in Week 11. How appropriate would it be that in this game on Christmas Eve afternoon, as we prepare for the arrival of jolly old St. Nick, that St. Juice is back in effect. Hello and welcome to this Wednesday installment of the Al Galdi podcast, the only Washington, D.C. sports podcast or show for which there is a new episode for each weekday, Monday through Friday, out oh so early each weekday. Uh, We follow sports so that you don't have to. Coming up on the show, a special guest, Commander's Insider Pete Haley of NBC Sports Washington. We will go in-depth 
on the commander's quarterback situation. Is this game at the Niners a make or break game for Taylor Heineke as the commander's starting quarterback? Is his job as the team's starting quarterback on the line? Is commander's head coach Ron Rivera chomping at the bit to go back to Carson Wentz as the team's number one quarterback? Uh, Well, next segment, I have further proof that the answers to those questions are resounding yeses. Uh, Very notable comments from Ron Rivera. You will hear those comments shortly. Uh, Also with Pete Haley, by the way, I will discuss some non-quarterback stuff, including whether the commander's defense can lead the way to the playoffs. And is there more to what's going on with edge defender Chase Young than we know? Uh, Also on the show, the Wizards. Hey, they won. The damn Washington Wizards. Yes, Stephen A. Smith, thank you. Our Wizards late night on Tuesday night snapped their 10-game losing streak. A 113-110 win at the Phoenix Suns. Yes, the Wizards won a game. Can you believe that? Uh, This game was drunk, by the way. The Wizards blew a 17-point third-quarter lead, then overcame a 10-point fourth-quarter deficit. Uh, And I'll talk college basketball. Uh, Oh, what could have been for Georgetown? The Hoyas on Tuesday night led at number two UConn by seven points at 60-53 with less than 11 minutes left, but uh, the Hoyas ultimately lost 84-73. Also losing on Tuesday night, number six, Virginia, a 66-64 loss at number 22, Miami. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. I have received like a mountain of feedback on Commander's Offensive Coordinator Scott Turner. I, on Tuesday's show, episode 467, spent some time discussing uh, Scott's play calling in the loss to the Giants on Sunday night, specifically running back Brian Robinson Jr. for the game, averaging 7.42 yards per carry and yet totaling a mere 12 carries, including just four carries in the second half. Email from Mike, writes Mike, Taylor Heineke is limited, no doubt, but Scott Turner is the problem. Mark my words, he is not helping Heineke or the team at all. Have to understand how bad Ron Rivera's offensive line is and adjust accordingly. Turner is too limited for that. He is terrible, just my opinion. Email from Thelonious Funk writes Thelonious, Washington can never beat the Giants when it matters. I knew that something was up when all but one of the NBC people, even Mike Florio, picked Washington. Yeah, that was something. The notorious Redskins hater, Mike Florio, even he picked the Commanders to win on Sunday night. Continues Thelonious, can't blame Taylor Heineke. He did his best. This was on Scott Turner. He could not draw up a play to exploit Landon Collins. Also, Turner establishes Brian Robinson Jr., then goes away from him. No worries. Scott Turner's ineptitude and the Terry McLaurin penalty sent me to my fantasy football league final. So there's that. Uh, Keep up the outstanding work, Goldie. Well, thank you for that, Thelonious, and congrats on making your final in fantasy. Email from Kim, writes Kim, our offense is extremely low scoring and thus has no wiggle room. I really think that the team this offseason needs to consider another offensive coordinator. There must be better schemes for Taylor. How long have he and Scott Turner worked together? Uh, Thank you for the email, Kim. Uh, The answer is a long time. Uh, Washington is the third NFL team on which Scott Turner and Taylor Heineke 
have worked together. The uh, Minnesota Vikings and Carolina Panthers are the other two teams. Email from Stephen. Right, Stephen. When is it time we fire Scott Turner? 25th, 23rd, and 25th in scoring in his three years here. He tries to force feed Curtis Samuel too much in the run game. We don't give Brian Robinson the ball enough, and the play designs are terrible. When is it time? This team would be substantially better with a competent play caller. I'd say 90% of the fan base is sick of him. Would love to hear your thoughts. Uh, Well, thank you for that email, Stephen. Yeah, I mean, I gave my thoughts on Tuesday's show. Here's the bottom line. I do like things about Scott Turner. I like that he uses a lot of motion and shifting. I do think that Scott is in tune with the modern way of doing offense in the NFL, even though the commander's current offense doesn't look anything like an NFL offense at the uh, forefront of being progressive. But I also recognize that Scott, for a third time in three seasons as Washington offensive coordinator, has a bad offense. And at some point, it don't matter how many things that you like about an offensive coordinator. It don't matter how much motion and shifting the offensive coordinator likes to use. It don't matter the excuses that you can come up with for the offensive coordinator. He needs to have a quality offense. And Scott still has not had a quality offense over his time as Washington offensive coordinator. Uh, But regarding whether that time is running out, keep this in mind. Scott Turner, this past offseason, got a contract extension. Uh, We this past March had multiple reports that the commanders were signing Scott to a multi-year contract extension, making it so that he and Ron Rivera are under contract through the 2024 season. Uh, So yeah, old Scotty boy, Uh, may not be going anywhere. Well, the Commanders are in the heat of a playoff race. No podcast or show covers the Commanders like this podcast does. And so now's a great time to advertise on the Al Galdi podcast. If you would like to advertise your business or practice on the pod and reach thousands of people every episode and make use of the power of the pod. Uh, hit us up. The email address is the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Before we get to our guest, Commander's Insider Pete Haley of NBC Sports Washington, I do want to play for you a few things involving Pete's co-worker, uh, a friend of the Al Galdi podcast, Commander's Insider J.P. Finley of NBC Sports Washington. So Commander's head coach Rod Rivera on the day after a regular season game does a day after the game press conference, and he does a one-on-one conversation with JP, uh, being that NBC Sports Washington has a big financial slash broadcasting relationship with the commanders. Uh, NBC Sports Washington pays the commanders millions of dollars per year. And one of the things that I really respect about JP and Pete and uh, their co-worker Mitch Tischler is that uh, those guys are not afraid uh, to be critical of the commanders despite uh, the team's big-time relationship with NBC Sports Washington. Anyway, uh, there are two things from JP's conversation with Rod Rivera this past Monday that I want to play for you. And both things have to do with quarterback Taylor Heineke in the 2012 loss to the New York Giants at FedEx Field this past Sunday night. And these things are especially noteworthy with all of the talk of Rod Rivera potentially benching Taylor Heineke in favor of Carson Wentz. Uh, First, we have this exchange. 
What did you think of Taylor's performance? I thought it had its moments, a lot of positive moments. I mean, it's one of those things that the truth of the matter is if, 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 we, you know, if we can secure the ball a little bit better, you know, it, it gives us a chance. You know, one of the things that we wanted to do, we thought we could do, is we took some shots. Now, we got two of those shots, which were, which were pretty big, but we took our shots. What a play by Dotson. Yes, it really was. Jahan was tremendous. And if we can get the ball out to, uh, to, to Curtis a little cleaner, that's a catch and run for a touchdown. That's six, yeah. That's got to be a tough one. Yeah. Um. All right. So Ron Rivera right there in talking about Taylor Heineke's performance on Sunday night, quote, a lot of positive moments, end quote. So it's certainly not like Ron trashed Taylor, but Ron, toward the end of his answer, brought up a big completion that could have been even bigger. Uh, Commander's 10th offensive drive resulted in a turnover on downs in the final minute of the fourth quarter. Uh, first snap of the drive, first and 10 for the Commanders at their 43. Taylor Heineke had a 27-yard shotgun completion to receiver Curtis Samuel, who was wide open down the right sideline. However, Curtis had to wait to catch the ball, which was underthrown. Uh, Taylor hitting Curtis in stride would have almost certainly resulted in in a 57-yard touchdown pass. Instead, Curtis got pushed out of bounds at the Giants' 30 by corner Darnay Holmes. Uh, Ron Rivera unsolicited bringing up that play as a what could have been was really telling. You know, Ron got asked an open-ended question. What'd you think of Taylor Heineke's performance on Sunday night? Ron could have taken his answer in any of a number of directions. That Ron took his answer in that direction, very telling. Uh, And that play, by the way, very similar to a play, maybe even the exact play, uh, from the commander's win over the Jacksonville Jaguars at FedEx Field in week one. Carson Wentz's fourth quarter, first and 10, 49-yard shotgun touchdown bomb to receiver Terry McLaurin, who Carson hit in stride beautifully down the right sideline. And so you got to think that Ron Rivera was thinking, gee, Taylor Heineke on Sunday night did not make that throw, but Carson Wentz in week one did make that throw. Uh, And so that brings us to this exchange between J.P. Finley and Ron Rivera. So so with Taylor, it it was one thing, Carson's been hurt for most of Taylor's run. So when there have been times where maybe there's just struggles or it's just not the offense isn't performing at a high level, it's just kind of performing. Carson's in sweats, so you don't really think about it. I was down there at halftime. I saw Carson come sprinting out of that tunnel. I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot about this 6'5 unit. Did, does that change the, yeah. the the kind of the situation at all? It does. It does. I mean, you know, going into the second half, scoring early, moving the ball the way we did, it, it, was, it would have been hard for me to, 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 to sure. make a change right there. I mean, I have to. If that went differently, could you have thought about it? Yes, if it had. But, you know, again, it didn't. Right. So, so it never crossed my mind. Once we got that score, I always felt, okay, here we go. Here it comes. That was the best drive of the game. Yeah. But, but you're, you're thinking, here we go. And, and this is what we got to do. And let's continue with this. Okay. So Ron Rivera right there didn't say that he on Sunday night considered benching Taylor Heineke in favor of Carson Wentz. But Ron did say that he would have considered that had Taylor and the commander's offense continued to struggle. Remember, the commander's best offensive drive of the game was their first offensive drive 
of the second half. And, you know, this drive really was one of the commander's best drives this season. A six-play, 91-yard drive. Chunk play after chunk play. The drive resulted in Taylor Heineke's third quarter, first and 10, 19-yard shotgun play action touchdown pass to receiver Jahan Dodson. Taylor was on fire on this drive. He went 5 of 5 for 81 yards and the touchdown. But if not for that drive, we may well have seen Ron bench Taylor in favor of Carson Wentz. Uh, Ron said that he would have considered that, which to me means that Ron was considering that, okay? Like what Ron said to J.P. Finley in that cut that I just played for you, to me is Ron saying that he has been thinking and is thinking about benching Taylor Heineke for Carson Wentz, okay? Like, let's just bottom line this. I don't know how you read this situation any other way at this point. Ron Rivera is seriously considering benching Taylor Heineke in favor of Carson Wentz. Taylor Heineke is set to be the commander starting quarterback for the game at the San Francisco 49ers this Saturday afternoon at 4.05. Ron Rivera did make that clear during his day after the game Zoom press conference this past Monday afternoon. But, you know, the 49ers are maybe the best defensive team in the NFL. The Niners for the 2022 regular season are number one in the NFL in total defense per Football Outsiders DVOA metric. Taylor and the commander's offense getting slaughtered this Saturday is a distinct possibility. I hope like heck that that does not happen. But if you're being honest and objective, that is a possibility, okay? Uh, A distinct possibility. Taylor and the commander's offense uh, getting worked by this Niners defense this Sunday. It feels like this Saturday afternoon slash early evening will have one of two things. Taylor's last stand as a starting quarterback for the Commanders this season, or, okay, and be open to this, Taylor, aka Tay-Tay, balling out and shocking the world once again. This game is a big game for the 7-6-1 Commanders as they hold on to that number seven seed in the NFC and third and final NFC wildcard spot. And this game is a big game for the direction of the Commanders at quarterback for the rest of the season. Uh, Now, the Commanders on Tuesday held a walkthrough as they are in the midst of this uh, short week uh, in preparation for the game at the Niners on Saturday. Uh, Taylor on Tuesday evening did a post-walkthrough press conference. Uh, This was Taylor on his status as the Commanders starting quarterback potentially being on the line in this game at the 49ers. You know, for me, I just try and focus on, you know, if I'm starting, okay, I'm going to focus on the game and, and, and trying to go get a win. Um, if they want to go with Carson, great. I'll be the best backup to him I can be. Um, that's the most I can do. Um, you know, I've said it before, you know, I just c- try to control what I can control. And that's, you know, coming here every day, working hard, preparing like I'm going to start. And, you know, if my numbers call, I'll go out there and, and give it my best. And that's all that you can do your best. Uh, we try to do our best on this podcast. Uh, up next, a welcome on the man whose question prompted that answer from Taylor Haneke that you just heard, Commander's Insider Pete Haley of NBC Sports Washington. Uh, he'll give us a lot more on the Commander's quarterback situation, and we'll address a number of other topics with the team, including an interesting theory for why the Commanders have not gotten more production at tight end 
this season. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Commanders, in falling to 7-6-1 with their 2012 loss to the New York Giants at FedEx Field on Sunday Night Football, clinched something that I have not felt like mentioning, but I guess I'll mention it now. Uh, The loss clinched Washington not having an 11-win regular season. Uh, The best regular season record that Washington now can have this season is a 10-6-1 Washington has not had an 11-win regular season since going 14-2 in the team's 1991 Super Bowl championship season. Zero 11-win regular seasons since that 1991 regular season. Uh, This is the longest such drought in the NFL. However, this still can be a playoff season for the Commanders. Uh, Will it be? (laughs) That's a good question. Uh, the 7-6-1 Commanders are at the 10-4 and and NFC West champion San Francisco 49ers this Saturday afternoon at 4.05. I'm pleased to welcome back to the Al Galdi podcast right now, Commanders insider Pete Haley of NBC Sports Washington. You hear him on the Washington Football Talk podcast with J.P. Finley and Mitch Tischler. You can follow Pete on Twitter at Pete Haley NBCS. Hey, Pete, good to talk to you. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm interested to see how the squad bounces back from Sunday night when they head to San Fran. Yeah, I I think we're all very interested uh, in that. So I got to tell you, I got such a kick out of how the head coach of our commanders, Rod Rivera, uh, in a Zoom press conference with you guys on Monday afternoon, in the same answer, both said that he's sticking with Taylor Heineke as the team's starting quarterback and admitted that a benching could be coming. Like that right there sums up the commander's quarterback situation perfectly. Uh, Also, as you know, uh, Ron on Monday admitted that benching Taylor during the loss to the Giants on Sunday night uh, was a possibility. He said this in his chat with your colleague, J.P. Finley. Is it accurate to say that Taylor Heineke's job as the commander's starting quarterback is on the line in this game at the 49ers? I think it's incredibly accurate, and I think if Taylor was as accurate as the statement you just made, he wouldn't be dealing with this uh, dangerousness in terms of his job (laughs) security, but his lackluster play in recent weeks has put Ron in this position, and I've long been in Taylor's camp in terms of what 
he brings or or brings over Carson Wentz. I don't think Carson is that fun of a quarterback to watch, and I think his performance was getting worse the more he played for Washington. So I was all for the switch to Heineke, but I said this on another show, I feel like I'm a polar bear on an iceberg that's melting more and more with each passing week in terms of being on Taylor's side, and, and there's not really much to defend about his game anymore. He's taking the sacks that Carson was taking. He's had the ball security issues, and the, the lack of downfield passing, I know he had the 60-yard to Jahan, but that and the red zone problems are, are definitely pushing Ron and this offense to a place where they want to perhaps see what Carson has. So I could see a change happening at halftime if this game is ugly or the offense has another three-point performance. Um, I hope it doesn't get to that point because I love watching Taylor play, and as I said, Carson doesn't do the same thing for me. But, um, yeah, we're getting down to the nitty-gritty here. They can't be playing favorites, and I know – uh, there, there is a, a real good chance that this is Taylor's last stand. Ron Rivera, during Taylor Heineke's time as the commander's starting quarterback this season, has talked about Taylor in a mostly blunt, matter-of-fact, lukewarm way. Uh, do you think that Ron has been wanting to go back to Carson Wentz as a team starting quarterback? Or is it more that Ron is feeling that he has to go back to Carson as a team starting quarterback? I, I, you know, originally I thought, okay, we're just, we're just counting down the seconds here until Ron goes back to Carson. As soon as he gets the chance, he will because of the impassioned speech he made in Chicago and how much this investment has been in terms of money and trade capital. Like, this is Ron's guy. He's going to want to prove it. But Ron has been more patient with Taylor than I've given him credit for. And I know Carson's just healthy this past weekend. This is the first game he suited up. But still, um, after uh, the, the previous game, when Taylor also was was struggling in that Giants game, when he had the really long, kind of boring middle portion of the game, Ron came out and said that he was actually pretty pleased. Now, you're right to point out that every time Ron endorses Taylor, there's also a bit of a backhanded compliment or assessment it feels like he hasn't made a straight up uh positive statement about taylor in weeks but uh it's not like taylor's completely convinced him to do so um but i i think it's more ron just realizing we might need to jumpstart this thing more so than ron saying i need to prove that i'm right i think uh i've changed my stance on that We know that Commander's players really like Taylor Heineke. It has been said, although not so much lately, uh, that players would be really upset if Ron Rivera benched Taylor in favor of Carson Wentz. Now, personally, I'm not so sure of that. Uh, The players play the games. The players watch the film. The players know who truly is and isn't playing well. The team's offense needs a jolt. Uh, I actually don't think that we would see this, like, locker room revolt if Ron bench Taylor in favor of Carson, but you talk to commanders players a lot. What do you think? Yeah, I think the revolt would have happened if Carson had gotten healthier earlier and then Ron just made the switch in the midst of that winning streak. But, you know, losing changes everything and the love for Taylor is still absolutely there. Uh, the guy, you could see him in that capital suite last uh, on uh, Monday night when he was chugging beers, all those guys were just around him and loved being in his in his aura. But I think now the players also know, like we need to finish strong here or else we're going to be going home after that Cowboys game. And, uh, I don't think there would be a revolt revolt at this point. I do think they, they believe, uh, you know, in Taylor's magic and, and, and again, trust him and have that relationship with him more so than Carson, because Carson is new this year. He was gone for six or so weeks with the injury. I mean, he wasn't gone literally, but they, they went through that, 
high of that winning streak, that resurgence with Taylor, and that can really bond you. But uh, a tie, a bye week, and a loss can sap a lot of that momentum. And and another dud in San Fran, I think, will will have everybody's arrow pointing pointing towards number eleven. You mentioned how Carson Wentz had been playing prior to suffering his fractured right ring finger, and there's no doubt that his overall body of work this season has not been good enough. That said, he did have some good games. Uh, The win over the Jacksonville Jaguars at FedEx Field in Week 1, the loss at the Detroit Lions in Week 2, at least the second half of that game, uh, the loss to the Tennessee Titans at FedEx Field in Week 5. Do you think... Uh, that it is reasonable to think that a second go-round of Carson Wentz as the commander starting quarterback this season would be better than the first go-round? Definitely reasonable. Um, I think a big thing will be the, his comfort in the scheme. I mean, his first six games, he didn't seem that comfortable, but in the time he's been injured, like his time in the scheme has doubled. It's been another couple months since he's last played, and he's had a chance to sit back and practice and watch and talk to Scott Turner and Ken Zampezi as reads are being made, as as the film is being discussed. And I think that can help Carson um, when he's not necessarily in the heat of the moment and has to prepare for the Giants or the Cowboys or this team or that team. He can just think and, and ask a lot more questions. But the current construction of the O-line, I think, might cancel that out. We know uh, Taylor's having trouble uh, getting out of the pocket and then staying protected. Well, Carson is not as fleet of foot as Taylor is, and that was really apparent, of course, in that Eagles game, but in a couple other games, too, where Carson would take some sacks and some really deep sacks that would just kill the drive right then and there as soon as his knee touched the ground. So um, I I think you're more just hoping that uh, these quarterbacks, really, they're not the same, but I think the product they'll give you over an extended period of time is the same. They'll have good, they'll have bad, it'll be a little more bad than good, and you'll be ready to find a new guy this offseason. But I think the hope with Carson is that you just catch him on a good streak and he finishes strong with uh, week 17 and 18 and then maybe gets hot for a couple quarters in a playoff game. Like you're just, I think it's, you're, you're going back and forth. Whoever's got the hot hand and that hot hand's not going to last long. And then you go to the other guy and hope he has it too. And it's Carson's turn on the carousel if, if Taylor doesn't get it done. Yeah, I think that that makes total sense. I mean, if the commanders get week one, Carson, second half of week two, Carson, week five, Carson, then that's a pretty good quarterback. Uh, You mentioned the commander's offensive line. The extent to which the team's pass protection has like completely collapsed this season off having been good the last two seasons really is jarring. Uh, Internally, do the commanders believe that the pass protection, you know, falling off a cliff this season is more about bad blocking or bad quarterbacking, i.e., Carson Wentz and Taylor Heineke not doing good enough jobs of, you know, taking proper drops and getting rid of balls and handling pressure, etc. Yeah, speaking of jarring, when Ron was asked to break down the Thibodeau strip sack on Sunday night, he was in postgame and then on his Monday presser with us, he doubled down that it was Taylor's problem of as soon as he hits that back foot, he needs to throw. And Taylor came up to the podium and was like, well, my first read was gone. I was trying to get to my second read. And then, boom, I got a defensive end climbing all over my back. But I think that was pretty surprising to hear. And that goes back to Ron not being afraid to just kind of hang Taylor out to dry. And, and sure, he's an undrafted guy, and he's the 34th best quarterback in the league. He doesn't need to be coddled. But um, it does seem like there is the thought that the quarterbacks, and it's been Heineke recently, could do a little more. Now, when I watched that, it looked like Charles Leno, 
got beat pretty soundly. And I don't know if they should have been dropping back at second and 18 that far back to their goal line to begin with. So it's, of course, a combination of things. But um, I, I think it's they're a little bit perturbed at some of the decisions Taylor's making for sure. In the red zone, they, they talked about how he needs to stop waiting for a receiver to get to the window and look to the other side. And that's happening in the red zone. I'm sure that's happening throughout the other course of the game. And they believe that uh, the quarterback could help out the O-line a little bit. But I would say that the construction of the O-line, uh, you, you've got a lot of guys who are really good at run blocking. I don't think you necessarily have many who are that good at pass blocking. And that, that should be to blame, too. Much more with Pete Haley in moments. I'm going to next ask him about Commander's Offensive Coordinator Scott Turner. And still to come, Pete's take on whether there's more to what's going on with edge defender Chase Young than we know. But something that we do know is that if you have been negatively affected by the negligence of someone else, the law firm of Paulson and Nace is there for you. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. Call 202-902-7611. And when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace is a Washington, D.C.-based family law firm that handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, legal malpractice, and consumer protection cases, offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. Paulson and Nace fights for victims of all kinds of situations, including victims of errors made during diagnosis, during surgery, or with medication, victims of injuries caused by dangerous medications or medical devices, as well as defective auto parts, victims of accidents involving cars, trucks, bikes, or motorcycles, victims of deceptive trade practices and false advertising, heck, victims of shady lawyers. If your attorney acts in bad faith, is unethical in his or her counsel, or is negligent in his or her work, uh, you could have a claim for legal malpractice. Paulson and Nace has represented corporate clients throughout the region. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel that you've been wronged, if you think that you've been wronged but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Call 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. And when you call, tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. You can also visit paulsonandnace.com. That's PaulsonAndNace.com. And don't forget to tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace treats its clients with respect and dignity and wants what is best for the firm's clients. Paulson and Nace will treat you, your family, and your situation with the care and expertise that you deserve. And Paulson and Nace is excellent at what it does. Paulson and Nace has recovered millions of dollars for the sick and injured. Call 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. And when you call, tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace, if you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. All right, more now with Commander's Insider Pete Haley of NBC Sports Washington. A lot of conversation lately about Scott Turner, uh, he this past offseason reportedly got a multi-year contract extension, making it so that he and Rod Rivera are under contract through the 2024 season. But we this season have a Washington offense that overall is bad for a third time in three seasons with Scott as offensive coordinator. Now, of course, there's context to this, but where are you right now with Scott as the commander's offensive coordinator? I'm... I 
I see the moments of brilliance and the, the commitment to things that really work and I get really excited, but I think it feels like too often you're coming away from a game feeling like Terry McLaurin didn't get the ball enough or why did they go away from this guy or, Hey, where was Antonio Gibson? And I understand obviously that he has not had a very good quarterback situation that affects everything from Ron to Scott to Del Rio to the receptionist, to the guy at the security booth at Red's, at uh, Commander's Park. Like, the quarterback bleeds down to everything, of course. Your listeners know that. But the, the best coaches can elevate, can figure out a way to get things done. And I don't know if Scott is at that point yet. I give them a lot of credit for switching to this run-first approach. But I also don't want to give them too much credit because, like, of course that's what they needed to do. They don't have a very good quarterback. They have a couple of running backs who are young and, and powerful and hard to bring down. And when you're talent deficient in certain spots the best thing to do is run the ball and suck up the clock and try and win long scoring games so like scott's there are certain concepts and certain plays and and aggressiveness that you're like okay that's the young offensive coordinator who's rising up the ranks and you love it but like not getting the ball to brian robinson more and, and some of these red zone issues where they're just throwing 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 when taylor clearly doesn't thrive down there it just it makes you wonder like why is he so stuck on certain things why is he not more flexible? Why do they need to adjust so much? So I, I like what he's done, but I don't love it. And I don't think, you know, I, I think, of course, he's going to be around next year if he wants to be. And, and if as long as nothing ridiculous happens here down the stretch. But I wouldn't be thrilled about that as a fan, I don't think. The Commanders on Tuesday gave tight end Curtis Hodges a return to practice designation. Uh, undrafted rookie out of Arizona State. He has been on the reserve injured list since September 1st. Uh, But this brings to mind what has been going on at tight end for the commanders this season. What do you make of the glaring lack of production from commanders tight ends this season? They have done a lot in the way of blocking during this resurgence of the team's rushing offense over these last two months, but not a lot happening this season in terms of receptions for commanders tight ends. Really odd because, you know, the line with Carson was that he loved tight ends, yeah. Sackers, Dallas Goddard, uh, guys in Indianapolis. So I was thinking, okay, great. When Logan comes back, he's going to be closer to 2020 Logan Thomas than last year. But I don't know if he was fully right off that knee injury. And, and even since Taylor came in, like, he's just not catching the ball at all downfield. He's having games of like two for 11, one for six. He uh, He's only had that one touchdown in Detroit. I mean, he's been completely quiet. You don't expect much out of John Bates. He's a phenomenal blocker, but the Cole Turner issues, I mean, he got hurt in training camp and that seemed to really interrupt his development. And then you got some nice work out of Armani Rogers, but that's a guy who's playing quarterback in college recently. He's only got five for 64 on the season. So I'm, I'm pretty shocked and I don't think you can draw a one-to-one connection here, but they did make a change at tight end coach this past off season. And Juan Castillo is a guy who's coached all over the place, both in terms of, uh, you know, teams in the NFL and also positions wise, a line deep coordinator, now tight ends coach. Like he's got a vast knowledge of the entire thing, but Pete Hayner, like that guy was a savant. He, he was on the level of a John Masco in terms of uh, assistant coaches who get mentioned all the time with guys who can, uh, you know, make players really develop. And he, he's got some of the best names on his resume with Greg Olson, Delaney Walker. He was there for Logan's complete breakout a couple of seasons ago. So um, I think that might be a little bit of an underreported thing. Like assistant coaches, you can roll your eyes, but look what's happening on the D line with Jeff Scanina. Like it of course matters most what the players are doing and how they're performing. But I think the coaches can really impact 
and, and help take a good guy to great or a great guy down to good. And maybe that's happening at tight end. So I think it's a combination of health with Logan and Cole Turner, and then also perhaps a coaching change. And then just the, the overall run scheme that will inevitably affect uh, guys receiving numbers. That's a really good point about Juan Castillo. You know, another thing with him is that this season is his first season as a tight ends coach since 1997. It had been a quarter century since the guy had been an actual tight ends coach. Uh, that's not ideal. We talked to an assistant coach every Friday out there, and we had him maybe a month ago, and I asked that exact question. I started off like, hey, it's been 25 years <laughs> since you last coached tight ends. And I wanted to ask, like, how has the position changed? What have you had to adjust? But like, he kind of cut me off and was like, yeah, but I've coached this and that and I played it. Like, I understand it. And he was sensitive to the fact that he hasn't done it in a long time. So I'm sure that's in the back of his mind that people are like, Hey, they, they probably think I don't know what I'm doing. And it was a, it was a very funny little exchange, but I think that he's, he's quite aware of that uh, perception. Yeah. 1997. Uh, that was a long time ago. Uh, well, we know that the commander's offense cannot be trusted. What about the commander's defense? Do you believe that it's good enough to lead the team to a 2-1 and one or even 3-0 and oh, uh, finish to this regular season to make the playoffs? Yeah, if you could guarantee me that the offense would score 21 points across the final three weeks, then I'd feel pretty decent about answering yes. But like the way the offense is sputtering a bit right now, it feels like the defense has to be Ravens, Bears, like top, top, top elite of the league level and also just generate a ton of turnovers. And I don't know if they're quite that good yet. I mean, you saw Daniel Jones' quick passing attack could neutralize his defensive line, which kept the Giants out of third and long, which prevented them from being able to really get after him. So I think it, it, like a Brock Purdy, they'll probably have him do the same thing and dump it off to McCaffrey a bunch. And if the D-line isn't cooking, then that can help expose a secondary that's good but not great. I think it's great when the D-line is really on fire, but as good as Fuller is and as uh, talented as St. Just is, they, they aren't necessarily the fastest, and, and the guys around them, the other corners, can be taken advantage of too. So um, when they were, when they were getting the turnovers, when Forrest was going nuts and Fuller was picking off passes, then that can really swing things in their favor. But when they're just depending on the D-line to get to the quarterback and that D-line isn't doing it, I think – that, that caps the potential of this defense. So right now, with how I'm feeling of what the offense is going on and what the opponents are left on the schedule, I say no. I think they need just a smidge more help from the offense or even like a special teams Gibson kickoff return. But they, they need they need an extra touchdown. They need to find it somewhere. Maybe they can score it themselves, but they need one more touchdown to be uh, that kind of defense. Final question. Uh, the situation with Chase Young, uh, him still not having made his 2022 season debut. Look, I think that a lot of us, myself included, are like sick of talking about this, hearing about this, thinking about this, but this is a significant situation. You know how things can be and have been with this team. There's a mysterious slash unusual slash confounding situation and then we come to find out that there was a lot more to the situation than we knew or had been told. Do you think that there is significantly more to the Chase Young situation than we know? Do you think that in the coming weeks there will be a report or some kind of a reveal that sheds major light on this Chase Young situation? Or do you think that what we're being told and what we're observing are more or less what the situation is. It's it's always difficult to 
take that second approach just with this organization. So I'd lean towards the first and it's bizarre. Like Chase has been in the locker room for weeks now and he's bouncing around. He's interacting with guys. He looks like, you know, if you walked into the locker room, you'd say that guy probably has eight sacks this year and is, is loving life. He's been a pretty fun presence recently. So I don't think it's necessarily him or in the players. I don't think there's any sort of issue there, but perhaps he's not pushing himself all the way. I could see Ron coming out and in, in the final end of year presser and saying, man, I really wish we could have gotten chase. I felt like he could have given us a little more. There could be a bit of honesty in that, or maybe chase will say that uh, I had a bit of an issue with how the trainers were handling me. It was a new step. Like I think there will be something. I don't think it'll be a bombshell. Like he re-injured himself or he had a second surgery, but I, I'm getting the sense that there is some frustration that he is not pushing through this hurdle. They keep saying it's mental and they want to be careful with him, of course, because hopefully he's rushing here for 10 more years. But I also think Ron's like, dude, we've done everything. We've had you meet with James Andrews again. We've told you that, you know, whatever you did with rehab wise, that you've run its course, you've run the course there and you need to be on the field. And we're not practicing hard enough for you to really get that. We need you on the field to prove to yourself. And I guess Chase is just still hesitant in that way. So I expect there to be a, a, a quote, maybe a subtle one that gives us at least a little more insight into this. And as we saw last season, Rod Rivera, uh, not shy about calling out Chase Young if need be. Commander's insider Pete Haley of NBC Sports Washington. Pete, thanks a lot and happy holidays. Not a problem at all. Thank you. Well, at last it is over. The Wizards' 10-game losing streak is over. The Wizards improved to 12-20 and with a 113-110 win at the Phoenix Suns late night on Tuesday night. Uh, the Wizards snapped their 10-game losing streak, uh, won for just the second time in 15 games. Uh, the 10-game losing streak was the Wizards' longest regular season losing streak since beginning the 2012-2013 regular season 0-12. By the way, big news with the Suns on Tuesday, and the news is Commanders-related. Mortgage executive Matt Ishbia has agreed in principle to buy the Phoenix Suns and the Phoenix Mercury uh, from embattled owner Robert Sarver. So this guy, Ishbia, uh, first of all, he played college basketball at Michigan State. He was a member of the Spartans' 2000 national championship team. But for our purposes, Matt Ishbia had come up as a potential buyer of the Commanders. So he seemingly now uh, would be out of that sweepstakes. Uh, Interesting that the news of him buying the Suns broke on the same day on which CBS NFL insider Jonathan Jones reported that, quote, the first round of the bidding process for the sale of all, some, or potentially none of the Commanders closes at the end of this week end quote. Uh, Added Jones, quote, league sources have estimated the whole franchise would sell between $5.5 and $6.5 billion, far eclipsing the previous NFL record set by the Walton Penner Group when it purchased the Denver Broncos for $4.65 billion. Wise bidders would also need to have earmarked another 500 to 900 million dollars to help fund a new stadium that would surely come following new ownership. End quote. Uh, gee, you think? Uh, but anyway, the Wizards, yeah, they won on Tuesday night. Uh, this game was crazy. The Wizards blew a 17 point third quarter lead, but then overcame a 10 point fourth quarter deficit. 
Uh, the Wizards in the third quarter led by 17 points at 71-54 that allowed the Suns to go on a furious 38-11 run for a 10-point lead in the fourth quarter at 92-82, but then won the rest of the game 31-18. Uh, the Wizards won despite being without multiple key players. Chris Stamps Porzingis on Tuesday night did not play due to a non-COVID illness. Uh, Rui Hachimura on Tuesday night missed a 16th consecutive game due to right ankle soreness. Boy, is this guy ever going to play again? Uh, and DeLon Wright remains out due to a grade two right hamstring strain that he suffered in a 120-99 win over the Detroit Pistons at Capital One Arena on October 25th. Now, the Suns were without some key guys too, okay, including Devin Booker, okay, so that matters. Uh, Booker was out due to groin soreness. Also, Cameron Payne uh, did not play due to a right foot strain. So this wasn't your normal Suns team, but the Wizards won, okay, man? Beggars cannot be choosers. Uh, three Wizards in particular came through on Tuesday night. Bradley Beal, Kyle Kuzma, and Denny Avdia. Uh, Bradley Beal in 35 minutes, 17 seconds as a starter. Did not shoot well. Uh, he went 0-2 on threes, just 8 of 18 on twos, and just 11 of 14 on free throws. But Beal came up big in the fourth quarter, and he finished with 27 points, 6 rebounds, 6 assists, versus 2 turnovers, and a game-best plus-minus rating of plus 25 but Beal, in a fourth quarter that the Wizards won, 33-32, scored 16 points, including six consecutive points, to take the Wizards from trailing at 196 to leading at 102-100. Beal was clutch in this game. Uh, Kyle Kuzma on Tuesday night, 36 minutes, 48 seconds as a starter, 5 of 10 on threes, 5 of 9 on twos, 4 of 6 on free throws. He finished with 29 points, 6 rebounds, 6 assists versus 2 turnovers and 2 steals. Kuzma in the fourth quarter, 2 of 3 on threes, scored 8 points. And Denny Avdia, he was really good on Tuesday night, 36 minutes, 12 seconds as a starter, 2 of 5 on threes, 2 of 3 on twos, 6 of 6 on free throws. He finished with 16 points, 10 rebounds, and 4 assists versus no turnovers. Uh, Denny in the fourth quarter, nine points. He was the only Wizards player who played for all 12 minutes in the fourth quarter. So good job, Wizards. Uh, next up for the Wiz is a game five on their season-long six-game road trip at the Utah Jazz Thursday night at nine. So the Wizards on Tuesday night had a big win. Georgetown on Tuesday night flirted with a monster win, but ended up coming up short. Uh, the Hoyas fell to 5-8 and eight overall and 0-2 oh and in the Big East with an 84-73 loss at number 2 UConn on Tuesday night. Uh, Georgetown came into the game as a 21.5-point underdog per multiple shops, but the Hoyas led by 7 points at 60-53 with less than 11 minutes left in the second half, but uh, then lost the rest of the game 31-13. Hoyas had a hard time making shots in the second half. Hoyas in the first half, 2 of 5 on threes, 14 of 25 on twos, and 6 of 6 on free throws. But the Hoyas in the second half, just 1 of 6 on threes, just a 10 of 23 on twos, and just 10 of 17 on free throws. But Georgetown did some good things in this game against a really good team. Uh, the Hoyas in the first half, did allow UConn to go 9 of 16 on threes, but in the second half held UConn to just 2 of 14 on threes. Also, the Hoyas out-rebounded UConn 40-28, including having 12 offensive rebounds 
to the Huskies, five. Uh, Duquesne transfer Primo Spears led the Hoyas with 19 points. Uh, Spears is from Hartford, Connecticut. He in 38 minutes as a starter, went 0-2 on threes, 8-15 of on twos, and 3-4 on free throws. Also finished with five rebounds and three assists, although he also committed four turnovers as uh, turnovers were a problem for the Hoyas. Uh, LSU transfer Brandon Murray, he on Tuesday night in 32 minutes as a starter, committed eight of the Hoyas. 14 turnovers, uh, also went 0-2 on threes and missed his lone free throw attempt. Did go 5-10 on twos, did also finish with 10 points, 4 rebounds, including 3 offensive boards and 3 assists. And the Maryland transfer, Kudis Wahab, uh, who had transferred from Georgetown to Maryland, he on Tuesday night, 30 minutes as a starter, uh, went just 4-10 from the field, all twos, and just 8-11 of 11 on free throws. But he finished with 16 points and had 9 rebounds, including 4 offensive boards. Uh, next up for the Hoyas at DePaul, uh, but not until Thursday night, December 29th at 8. Uh, meantime, Virginia now has lost two consecutive games. Uh, number six, Virginia fell to 8-2 and two overall and 1-1 one and one in the ACC with a 66-64 loss at number 22, Miami on Tuesday night. Uh, this off the 69-61 loss to then number five, Houston, at John Paul Jones Arena in Charlottesville, Virginia, this past Saturday afternoon. The Cavaliers on Tuesday night trailed by 15 points at 41-26 with less than 15 minutes left in the second half. The Cavs did rally and did win the rest of the game 38-25, but they ultimately fell short. Very disappointing to see Virginia down by as many points as Virginia was down, and UVA head coach Tony Bennett ended up benching multiple starters for good chunks of the game. Uh, Jaden Gardner played for just 20 minutes, 26 seconds as a starter. Armand Franklin played for just 13 minutes, 4 seconds as a starter. Caden Shedrick played for just 10 minutes, 43 seconds as a starter. And understand, it's not like these guys were in foul trouble. Uh, Virginia's shooting was not good. Uh, the Cavs went just 6-23 on threes, just 16-37 on twos, and just 14-19 on free throws. Uh, ben Vanderplas, a graduate student transfer from Ohio, he on Tuesday night in 27 minutes, 18 seconds off the bench, went 4-9 on threes, led the Cavs with 20 points, uh, also had four rebounds, including two offensive boards and two assists versus one turnover. But the rest of the Cavs went a combined 2 of 14 on threes. Uh, Virginia's shooting lately has not been good. Virginia's defense on Tuesday night did end up being pretty good. Uh, the Wahoos allowed Miami to go 5-12 on threes in the first half, but held the Hurricanes to just 2-10 on threes in the second half, and just 14-31 on twos for the game. Uh, this was Tony Bennett during his post-game press conference late night on Tuesday night. I thought the guys did execute well down the stretch, you know, offensively to put us in those spots and scrap defensively to get back. But we just dug too deep of a hole to start the game and to start the second half with that. And we just, you know, that's why we gave some other guys some opportunities and they scrapped and fought far from perfect, but um, at least gave us a chance to, you know, get back into the game. And um, uh, Miami's a talented offensive group and, you know, it was a hard fought game. And um, we obviously have to, we got work to do. Um, got off to a good start, but you know we shot the ball so well early in the year. Now when the shot's not going in, sometimes you, it's sort of, it says, okay, what, where are you strong? Where do you need improvement? And I think that's where we got to keep attacking those areas. And you know it's good to see some lifts from some of the the bench. The bench gave us good lift uh, scoring wise. I think they scored 
majority of our points and got, got it done defensively. And next up for Virginia, home to Albany, but not until Wednesday evening, December 28th at 6. All right, one more thing before we call it a show. The Nationals on Tuesday afternoon announced several signings slash transactions. Uh, the biggest item was the Nats announced having agreed to re-sign free agent reliever Erasmo Ramirez to a one-year contract. Uh, the eraser is back. Uh, Erasmo ended up being the Nats' most valuable pitcher this past season. Uh, no, that's not saying much, but Erasmo, for the 2022 regular season, what was his age 32 season, finished number one among all Nats pitchers in wins above replacement per baseball reference at 1.5. Uh, he has a reliever totaled 86 in the third innings. That is a very high innings total for a reliever in today's Major League Baseball. And Erasmo, over those 86 into third innings, had an ERA at 292. A really good work. He was named Nationals Pitcher of the Year by the Washington, D.C. media. Also, the Nats on Tuesday afternoon announced having agreed with reliever Tanner Rainey on a one-year Major League contract, avoiding arbitration. Uh, Rainey, this past August 3rd, underwent Tommy John surgery. So he's expected to be out for most, uh, if not all, of the 2023 season. Uh, and the Nats on Tuesday afternoon designated reliever Gerardo Carrillo for assignment. And this is significant because Gerardo Carrillo was one of the four players who the Nats got back from the Los Angeles Dodgers in the trade of starter Max Scherzer and shortstop Trey Turner to the Dodgers on July 30th, 2021. Uh, the Nats now have designated for assignment two of the four players who the team received in that trade. Uh, the Nats this past August 9th designated outfielder Donovan Casey for assignment. Uh, the other two players who the Nats got back in that trade were starter Josiah Gray and catcher K. Barrett Ruiz. The trade, from a Nats perspective, was mostly about Gray and Ruiz, but, you know, it's not optimal for the Nats as a rebuilding team to have already DFA'd the other two players who the team received in that trade. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Thursday show, episode 469. We'll have a lot for you on the 7-6-1 Commanders as they prepare for their game at the 10-4 and and NFC West champion San Francisco 49ers this Saturday afternoon at 4.05. You know, this game week is moving quickly with the game being on Saturday as opposed to the usual Sunday. So Wednesday is like a Thursday. Thursday is like a Friday, if that makes sense. Uh, also on Thursday's show, I'll talk some college basketball. Number 21, Virginia Tech is at Boston College Wednesday evening at 6.30. Have a great rest of your Wednesday, and I'll talk to you on Thursday. You know, for me, I just try and focus on, you know, if I'm starting, okay, I'm going to focus on the game and, and, and trying to go get a win. Um, if they want to go with Carson, great. I'll be the best backup to him I can be. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. 
the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.